everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast where we have smart conversations about pregnancy, parenting, healthcare, politics, feminism, and then some. I am the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book where I write about how to navigate prenatal care so that mom and baby come through healthy and whole. And that book is based on my good long career as a labor and delivery nurse. Uh, let's see. I got an email from a woman this week that really lifted my spirit, and I thought I'd go ahead and share it with you. Hi, Jeannie. I just wanted to let you know that my sister gave me a copy of your book as soon as we found out I was pregnant. I've always been a little freaked out about pregnancy, and she thought your book might make me feel better. I have to say it totally did. I have a few other books to read, but I felt like you approached everything so matter-of-factly and with a lot of information that never went over my head. I still have five months to go before I deliver this kid. (laughs) I like the way you put that. But your book has helped me a lot. Most of all, it made me realize that most of the things I was afraid of, that I was afraid would happen, were actually based on misinformation. My mother led me to believe that my pregnancy would be high risk because hers were. She had emergency C-sections for both me and my sister, And I think she was traumatized by her experiences. After reading your book, I realized I'm not high risk at all. I'm normal, and I really don't have all that much to be worried about. I even wonder now if my mom's situations were really emergencies or just the way her hospital hospital dealt with births like hers. It's given me a lot to think about. That's all I wanted to say. Thanks for taking some of the fear out of this experience for me. Allison. Oh, I love that. Thanks, Allison, for sending that note. You know, it's true. A lot of the way we think about pregnancy and birth comes from the other women in our lives and from the stories they share with us about their births. And I think it's, you know, human nature that we tend to share the stories that highlight the hardest parts, you know, more often than we do stories that, you know, about births that went really well or the parts of your labor or delivery experience that actually were just fine. Um, you know, and in a lot of those really hard birth stories, the women telling them felt like victims and, you know, in some instances still do. And that's why we have to change the story, change the experiences and the way that we educate the other women in our lives about what's real. You know, yes, we have to share the hard parts. That's how we'll process them and make change happen. But we also have to make sure that when we do that, we balance it with the best parts, you know. If you had a super, super long labor and parts of it were really, really tremendously challenging and difficult, and maybe parts of it didn't go the way that you anticipated, but probably most of that labor, you were probably doing okay, you know? So I just think that there might be a call for us to to add some balance to the way that we tell our stories. And I think it's really sad that Allison's mother's births, births led her to pass some of her trauma down to her daughter's. But I'm so glad Allison's sister had her back and gave her a copy of my book. Fingers crossed. All continues to go well for you, Allison, and for your baby. And you know what? Maybe even for your mom. You know, seeing the experience that you have might be a good thing for all of you. I don't know. You never know. Okay, what else? I got to do one of the really interesting parts of my job this week. And I'm really grateful that I get to do this kind of work because I seriously love it. Now, if you've been to my webcast or website, jeanfogner.com, you know that in addition to this podcast, I do a bunch of other things, right? Like who doesn't these days? 
So I've got the books and I host and produce two other podcasts, the Care Action Podcast, which is about uh, the people, plans, politics, and policies that make CARE's mission to eradicate poverty possible. CARE is a the global humanitarian organization that I've been working with for a good long time, and I do a lot of writing for them in addition to podcasting. And the other podcast I do for them is called Activists on the Line, and my co-host Maria Rohani and I match up activists who are working on similar issues in different countries in conversation, and it's just fascinating. So if you're looking for podcasts with more of a global reach or about foreign assistance or activism or advocacy or something like that, go find us and give us a listen. But in addition to that, I co-founded a business with a couple of other women a while back that we call Civics for Cynics. And what we do is we host workshops that teach people who, you know, are like us. They want to make a difference, um, but they're not precisely sure how to get started. So we cover civics and how the government works and how to identify which part of the world you're meant to change and how to write op-eds and letters to the editor that actually get published and how to engage in social media for effective activism and how to hold a meeting with your member of Congress, how to get the appointment, you know, really, really, really practical things. And I got to do one of these workshops this weekend in the wake of the Parkland shooting, and it was awesome. This group was real eager to do something, but like many of us, they didn't know exactly what or how to do. And I love working with groups like this because, you know, they're at that point of inspiration that so many of us find ourselves in. There's some crisis or current event or life occurrence that pushes us to the point where we really, really want to make change happen. And, you know, a lot of us will show up at a march and a protest or a town hall meeting and we leave feeling like, well, that was that. Now what? Now what do we do next? And that's where adv advocacy comes in. And that's the process of figuring out exactly what you want to change and the process for how to change it. Um, you know, it tends to be the long game. It tends to take time and it tends to be about building relationships. Anyway, I love teaching these workshops and I'm always so inspired afterwards and thought I'd share that with you. I love seeing people step up and decide to plug into the civics and politics and community process to make this world the one that, you know, we want to live in, the world we want to raise our kids in. And they're not just, you know, clicking likes on on social media, they're actually showing up and getting ready to do something. And it's so important right now. This group had people who were passionate about all kinds of issues like Black Lives Matter, gun control, prison reform, helping women find jobs, food security in our neighborhoods, houselessness, uh, abolishing puppy mills, and a lot of people who want to get big money out of politics. And damn, these are some really excellent ways to change the world. It was a fun group to work with as they... You know, we're working through figuring out their role and coming up with a pretty clear idea of how to do it. So if you're interested in having a Civics for Cynics workshop for your group, school, or workplace, go find the Civics for Cynics tab over on my website, genefaulkner.com, and we'll fix you up. Also, go check us out over on Parents on Demand website where you'll find Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting and a whole lot of other podcasts covering pregnancy and parenting and a lot more. Um... You know, they've got a curated collection going on over there, parentsondemand.com. Okay, so this week's guest is going to break down some very interesting numbers for us all about family planning. 
Now, I bet if you're pregnant now, you're probably welcoming the break from having to think about family planning, and you might be tempted to tune out. Now, I've talked before about why family planning is essential for healthy pregnancies and healthy mothers, but today's guest has some really interesting things to say about family planning access and utilization around the world. Now, my pregnant listeners may not realize yet, but you're about to enter into this universal tribe of women who are co-mothering this generation of children with you. Let me tell you, family planning planning is pretty darn important to most of them. And this week's guest is going to talk about why. Neve Cahill is a postdoctoral researcher at UMass Amherst. She's a statistician whose research is focused on monitoring the progress of a global initiative called Family Planning 2020. Um, And the aim of this initiative is to expand access to contraception to an additional 120 million women and girls in 69 of the world's poorest countries by the year 2020. Whew, we've got a lot to talk about. So let's get Neve on the line. Hi, Neve. It's Jeannie. How are you? Hi, Jeannie. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. So, Neve, I read your bio before I got you on the phone. Um, but where exactly are we finding you? Where in the world are you? Um, I'm in Wexford, Ireland at the moment. Okay. This is where I'm from. All right. But you're a postdoctoral researcher at uh, UMass Amherst. Is that correct? Yeah, I was a postdoc there for the last two years. I actually just finished up my contract there the 31st of December. Um, So I've started a new contract here in Ireland now. All right. Great. Well, my first question for you, other than where in the world are you, is this. Who are you and what do you do? Um, Well... I'm a new mother, actually, so I should probably start by saying that. I have a six-month, almost seven-month-old little boy. All right. Congratulations. Um, And thank you. (laughs) So that's been a bit of a whirlwind few months. Um, And then in terms of work, I, like I said, just finished up my postdoc. I'm a statistician. Um, So I did my PhD in University College Dublin in Ireland, um, where I applied statistics um, to look at climate change and changes in actually looking at how sea level has changed over the past 2,000 years or so. And then I moved on to do my postdoc at UMass and completely changed direction in my application and started looking at family planning. Um, and so during that time, I was responsible for developing and kind of updating um, a statistical model that's applied to family planning indicators. Um, They will be things like contraceptive use or the unmet need for contraception. Um, And so we are involved, this project in particular was involved um, with the Family Planning 2020 initiative. And so we wanted to use our model to look at progress um, in the Family Planning 2020 initiative by analyzing the data in the countries that are the focus of the initiative. Oh, so, so many questions. For... So many questions yeah. here. <laughs> uh, um, that's what I've been doing, basically. Okay. Well, I, I want to start with asking you about, uh, you, you, this is your first baby, right? You recently had your first son, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And are yeah. you back to work now? Yeah, so because I was on a U.S. contract, um, I had to go back to work after eight weeks. Because yeah. um, here in Ireland, I would have gotten six months maternity leave. Yeah. 
um, big, big because I was on that contract. Yeah. So I have a whole, yeah, I've given out about that like so many times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I, but I was very, very fortunate in that I came, I moved back to Ireland in May cause I wanted to have my baby here. Um, with my, I wanted to be around my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was very fortunate to be able to do my job from, from home. So I didn't have to leave him to do work, which was, which I was grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many differences between the way that we do, you know, maternity leave, prenatal care, you know, everything is different. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys. Yeah. And it's funny because I've experienced both sides of it now. You mm-hmm. know, I've experienced the care in the US and then the comparison to here. And there's definitely, there's pros and cons to both. But the maternity leave in the US is is shocking. Like. It's horrible. Just, I think it, there's, yeah, it really is. Yeah. Well, I'd love to know some of the pros and cons because I'm always singing the praises of, you know, the maternity care in um, Ireland, England, Finland, Norway, Italy, you know, many European countries, mm-hmm. they do it so much better than we do here. Is that true? Is that the experience you have? Um, y- yes and no. So because I had, so in the US, because I had such good health care, mm-hmm. um, my my visits to see the OB or the midwives were they were very like they were fast you know I didn't have mm-hmm. much waiting around or anything like that mm-hmm. um and so that was that's a that's a definitely a pro but that's because I had good health care so mm-hmm. I can't imagine what it would have been like had I not been in that position right um but and so in Ireland you can be if you don't have private health care like you can end up waiting quite a long time for visits and stuff like that mm-hmm. but that's you know that's not that big of a deal, really. Um, the U.S. is very thorough. They do a lot of things that I think may be unnecessary, like when you're when you're pregnant, mm-hmm. you know, things that might worry you um, unnecessarily. Whereas right. here, so things like the gestational diabetes test, for instance, mm-hmm. that wouldn't be done here unless there was indicators for it. Right. Right. And the um, indicator so unless, would be, you know, there was like sugar in the urine dip. Yes. Yeah. Or, you know, or the, the mother's like your weight, you know, prior to getting pregnant and things like that. You know, if you were going to if you had higher risk factors, right, then they would do that test. Whereas in the US, every like you're, everybody does it. Everybody and, does you know, it. I knew I was fine. Like I, I knew like I was 98 percent sure I was going to be fine. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I still had that bit of a concern then when I had to do that, you know. Right. We do a lot of things like that here. We do a lot of. Yeah testing and interventions um, just in case and it's you know yes presented often as just in case there's something wrong with you or the baby but it's also equally just in case something's wrong and you decide to sue us then we can say we did everything yeah yeah it's a double-edged sword and what happens sometimes is that you know the the tests will come up with something that may or may not be a risk factor and then there will be another test on top of that and then you know, you yep. start going down this rabbit hole that can be a scary place to be sometimes. And generally, it, it turns out everything's you... fine. It always was. Yes, exactly. You just had this yep. scary yep. little adventure in test land. Yeah. 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 But I think as well, because I definitely had that experience, even with my, my first scan, because here you don't generally get a scan until after 12 weeks right um so they don't do they don't generally do the early scans and i had an early scan in the us and there was um just some there was something they noticed something with the 
yolk sack yeah. and I w- they were just telling me I was at risk for miscarriage and I was I was terrified yeah. and everything was absolutely fine you know yeah. whereas here that wouldn't have happened I would have been none the wiser right. and it probably would have been better for me <laughs> yeah yeah oh I so I so get it we um I think that a lot of practices like to do that very very early ultrasound scan because they mm-hmm. uh can predict the due date with the with the yes, very much early better, yeah. yeah much better whereas you can't really do that with a later uh, ultrasound scan yeah. but most women have a pretty clear idea as to when their period was and so they could just ask it's not always necessary sometimes it is some women yeah. don't have any idea but you know most of us have a pretty good clue yeah yes true yeah well let's let's get into talking about i, I mean i'd love to to talk about you and your birth and your baby and your prenatal care the whole darn time but We've got some, I'd like to talk about your work. And I'd like you to start off by telling me about FP 2020 and the 12 by 120 goal. Or maybe it's the 120 by 20 goal. Tell me about this work. It's 120 by 20. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, I should start by saying, I guess, the goal. Yeah. The goal of the initiative. um, So Family Planning 2020 um, was a result of the London Summit in 2012 on family planning. Mm -hmm. And um, the initiative started and their overall goal is to have 120 million additional users, uh, women and adolescent girls of uh, modern contraceptive um, methods by the year 2020. And I think that a really common, a common statistic that we have out there is that there are about 250 million women in the world, primarily in developing countries, but also here in the United States, who wish that they had access to family planning, want to use family planning to, you know, space and limit and all of that pregnancies, but they don't have access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is like this is it. And the the initiative focuses on the world's poorest countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're focused on countries in uh, like West Africa, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's 69 countries that are focus countries um, for FP 2020. Mm-hmm. And so my work basically was to look at to get some data from all of those countries. So there's data you can get data from surveys such as the Demographic and Health Survey, for example. And from those uh, survey databases, we get um, what we call contraceptive prevalence rates, um, which is basically just the proportion of women that are using some contraceptive method, be Mm -hmm. that a traditional method or a modern method. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we have that country data... Let's define those terms, Um, Neve. Let's say a traditional method versus a modern method. um, so a traditional method could be something like uh, withdrawal or um, um, fertility awareness method. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think lactational like, amenorrhea used to be considered traditional, but now I think they're considering that a modern method. Okay. Um, so that's when you uh, breastfeed. So you, you know, you have, um, that's a form of contraception as well. Yeah. And then modern methods are things like we all like we all know about, such right. as like the pill or the injection or an implant right. or um, sterilization is used yeah. in some countries. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 OK, keep going. So let's. OK, yeah. So yeah. basically we we have data from um, all of these countries that were. that. Well, there's so. I should start by saying there is a world contraceptive use database that's mm-hmm. compiled by the United Nations Population Division every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the data that we used um, to look at the countries for the FP2020 initiative came from that database. Okay. 
Um, and so we look at this data over time. So we look at how contraceptive prevalence is changing over time. But we also look at how unmet need, um, so the unmet need for contraception is changing over time as well. And then we looked at a combination of those two indicators, which is base, which is the demand satisfied for contraception. Um, so, and that just that that's the demand satisfied with modern modern methods of contraception. Okay. So without going too stat heavy, because I know that that's yeah. going to be over the head of a lot of people. What did you yeah. find out? So we found out by. Looking at the progress in each of the countries, we can look at which countries have um, made the most progress, say, since 2012 when the initiative began. Um, and in that case, we found out places like Kenya and Mozambique um, and Malawi have exceeded the expectations for what we expected, how well we expected them to do in mm -hmm. terms of increasing modern contraceptive use mm -hmm. since 2012. Great. And then we can look at things on a, on a regional level um, and not just on a country level. And so we saw, for example, that um, modern contraceptive use um, increased somewhat slowly in across all of Asia. But then across Africa, there was quite a relatively large increase in modern contraceptive use, especially when compared to Asia. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also give the overall picture. So how many women, have, how many additional users of contraception do we have since 2012? So between 2012 and 20, or 2017, there was uh, 28.8 million additional. Um, so we just looked at married women. So additional mm -hmm. married users of contraception mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the last five years. And you looked and so at that's married what, because that's what the that... statistics allows us to do. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And we looked at married because um, so this model was originally set up to just focus on married or in union women of reproductive age. OK, um, because um, it's, it's quite there was a lot more data on that for sure. um, for a start. And then when it comes to looking at unmarried women, you have things like sexual activity and everything to take into account. Uh -huh. um, and so there's work being done um, at the moment to develop the model to look at unmarried women also. So we can get a picture for all women because the FP2020 initiative is uh, concerned with all women, married yeah. and unmarried. Yeah. Okay. But you work with what you've got. And yes, exactly. And you found that in some parts of the world, contraceptive use is really escalating. And in other parts, it's escalating more slowly. Yes. What, yeah. What else did you find out? Um, I suppose the... The thing about this paper was that it can highlight the areas where more work is needed um, and it can also highlight the countries that have done well. So maybe the countries where more work is needed can learn from the countries that have done well. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, what happened in Kenya in the last five years that made it do so well in terms of in increasing uh, contraceptive use? Yeah, what and happened? There was, so there was a project that was... Um, launched in Kenya, I think it was called the Two Pain Project. Um, and that was also funded by the Gates Foundation. So FP2020 is funded by, well, it's funded by USAID and um, other things as well, but uh, the Gates Foundation are a large donor for it. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think they also funded this Tupane project. And I think this was just more so of, like, I think it was an awareness raising project, um, which seemed to um, help things along in Kenya. Now, it hasn't been, like, we can't directly attribute that, but mm-hmm. you can infer some correlations there, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, once word gets out, it's pretty remarkable because, you know... That's the thing, yeah. Most women um, really get it that they are going to be healthier women. They're going to have healthier children if they're not having back-to-back-to-back-to-back babies. Or if they're, you know, able to prevent becoming pregnant until they're on their feet financially or, you know, have achieved some goals that they want to achieve. And too often what happens is that, you know, women in low resource settings like parts of Africa and Asia and um, Latin America, some of the most impoverished countries in the world, they just don't have access. There isn't anything that they can use. And so they end up with back to back to back babies, uh, uh, you know, and as any mother can imagine, you know, that really limits what you can do for yourself professionally, economically. And takes a toll on your on your body. Oh my you know, gosh! Like, yeah, I just like I can you know I can't imagine what you're you're putting your body through by by doing that. I know, I know, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, but we take you... it for granted as yeah. well. Like I I remember I was at a workshop um, related to this project in Togo in West Africa um, in the first year of my postdoc. And I was talking to the like um, they're called monitoring and evaluation officers. So they um, help us gather some of the data that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was these guys from Somalia and they were just asking me, you know, they just asked me a really simple question. Oh, so like what contraception can you access? And I was just I was like all of it. You know, I was like I could get whatever I wanted. And I didn't realize until he asked me that I'd never actually thought about that. How easy it is for right. me to go to the doctor and say, "Can you put me on the pill?" Or I want to be, I want the IUD. You know, right? right. Um, so we do take it for granted in in a lot of respects. I think. Yeah, we do. Some, you know, for some, in some parts of the world, there will be reproductive health care where women can choose from, you know, a couple of options. Perhaps, maybe there will only yeah. be one option. Maybe there will That's only it, yeah. be. Uh, condoms available and then there is the you know she there's the social dance of you know she might be the one who has access to it but she has to get somebody else to use it I mean it's so complicated Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's Mm -hmm. so complicated and yet you know when you speak with women about what they want for their lives they want access they want control over their reproductive lives like all of us do yeah yeah because it's a it's a human right you know to have control over your own body and right. to decide if and when you want to have children, you know, right. it shouldn't be left in the hands of somebody else. Right. When I, you know, I spent about 20 years um, as a labor and delivery nurse here in the United States. And so I have been there for literally thousands of births. And mm-hmm. many, many, many times there would be women who came in delivering their seventh, eighth, thirteenth child. And we watched those women really carefully for hemorrhage after delivery because, you know, the uterus Mm -hmm. gets super tired and may not contract well enough after a delivery to prevent bleeding. And Mm -hmm. these women were in an American hospital getting really good health care and we were able to monitor them. It did happen that women would 
hemorrhage after they'd had that many babies. But, you know, they got the health care they needed. In yeah. many of the countries that you and I have both been to, we know that that health care does not exist. And so yeah. their first line of defense to avoid bleeding to death is to prevent that pregnancy. You know, the one that is back to back, the yeah. one that is just one too many, the one is that is too young in your yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I think it goes beyond, it goes beyond, you know, what people think, oh, just access to contraception. Yeah. It, uh, that, you know, that has a knock on effect for so many other things in women's lives that I think we just take for granted. We don't realize how lucky we have it. Right. In a lot of cases. Right. Yeah. Now, a lot of our listeners are are new parents or expectant parents, and that's a time yeah. when a lot of them connect with how universal the pregnancy and parenting experience is and how mm-hmm. profound it is, the transformation that happens. And they come to this realization that every mother everywhere, all over the world, and for all time has done this. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you came to that realization yourself about becoming a parent. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I I used to think about this a lot when I was, you know, when I was thinking about going through labor and I was, thinking, you know, it's a scary thought when, you, when you've never done it before. And I suppose when you've done it before, it's probably scarier. Yeah, it's, it's still scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And but I used to tell myself all the time, but this has been this is it's always been done this way if women have been doing this since the beginning of time so obviously it's it's going to be okay you know I just that's what I used to tell myself yeah um and it's funny and I listen to your podcast yeah it's so true and I I would listen to your podcast on my walks to work every day and Mm. I would just relate to so much you know and it was like okay I'm not alone in feeling like that you know um just even the, the simplest thing of you know having some having the people staying fit during their pregnancy I was like because sometimes that's why like people are like why are you exercising you're pregnant and I'm like because why wouldn't I exercise this is right. the time I should definitely exercise yeah yeah I'd like to grow <laughs> you know? I'd like to grow a healthy placenta please you know yes I'd, yeah. I'd like to keep my blood pressure healthy please yeah yeah I'd yeah. like to keep my sanity, please. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. I know. <laughs> More important than ever. And I also think that it's really, really important for us to shift the conversation away from, you know, a pregnancy is all about the baby to a pregnancy is all about the mother. You know, mm-hmm. if you take care of the mother, the baby's going to be just fine most of the exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah. Now, yeah. I know that some of my listeners are going to come back to me and say, well, yeah, but, you know, I don't know. There's always the exception to the rule. But most of the time, yeah. you take care of the mama, the baby is going to be just fine. Yeah. I th- yeah, I totally agree. Because I, I think something something that really shifted in my mindset when I when I found out I was pregnant was everything I did from that point on was I was thinking, how is this going to affect the baby? Mm hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I, but then, but by, from like from that logic, well, what I do affects my baby. So if I feel good, well, then my baby should feel good. Right. You know, so that, right. that's the way I thought about it. Yeah, it's common sense, isn't it? You know. Yeah. But it's a shift in perspective, and I think yeah. that that's a real shock for a lot of mothers, especially. You know, I would think that you've sort of been in this reproductive health world of ours for a while before you became pregnant yourself. 
So you too were probably looking at, you know, maternal health and reproductive health in a very different way than you did once it was you. Mm-hmm. And I I know that I certainly did. You know, I was a I was a nursing student when I was pregnant the first two times, and I was learning obstetrics at that point. And everything I learned was the perspective of the baby. And then when I was mm-hmm. pregnant myself, it was like, oh, wait a second, I'm here too. You know? Yeah. And, and yeah. that was, at least here in the United States, our healthcare system doesn't look primarily at the mama. It looks primarily at the outcome for the baby. Oh, yeah. And that, and that's like, that's why it's when they do all of these tests, they're not thinking about the mother, because if yeah. they were, they wouldn't put the mother through that. Right. <laughs> you know, right, right. Yeah. And of course, we all want a healthy baby. Of course, we want what's yes. best for the baby. And of course, there are mothers out there who really need all of that intervention in order to have that yeah. healthy baby or to have that healthy outcome herself. But most of us are mm-hmm. fine. Most of us are pretty yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. You know, my audience is, you know, I have a lot of Americans that listen to the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I also have a lot of um, listeners that come from some of those poorest countries that you studied. But I guess my question is, in your opinion, why should American parents care about the family planning options available to, you know, families in other countries? Why should they care? Um. That's a good question. I think it's more, it's it's like, a, it's an empowerment thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so people's access to contraception in poor countries that maybe some people are never going to be to um, doesn't direct doesn't directly affect your life in any way. But it's it's the message that it sends. It's that it's given the message that every woman has the right the right to control her own body Mm -hmm. and if you want that right for yourself if you're a US if you're from the US or you're from Ireland well then you should want that right for every single woman in the world yeah that's my opinion I I think so too and I think that you know the world that we live in right now there there aren't many degrees of separation between us you know sitting in my studio in Portland Oregon and you sitting in your office in Ireland there really aren't that many degrees of separation between us and the woman who is looking for family planning in a poor country. And, you know, one example that I can give is, um, you know, part of my day job is that I host a podcast for CARE, the Global Humanitarian Mm -hmm. Organization. And I had an opportunity to speak to somebody in the candy industry in the largest chocolate distributor in the United States. And Mm -hmm. this person was talking about how this company makes a big investment into the healthcare options of the cocoa farmers in uh, on the Ivory Coast in Africa, because they want to have the healthiest, happiest farmers who are mm-hmm. capable of producing the best crop of chocolate so that by the time it, you know, is processed there, put on ships, transferred back to the United States, processed through American chocolate factories and made into American candy that lies, you know, falls into a, the hands of, you know, some American mother having a bar of candy, 
Mm-hmm. It has something to do with the health care of the person who was the ch- the cocoa farmer. And something mm-hmm. like, I, I am going to get this statistic wrong, but, you know, something like <laughs> m- way more than half of the farmers in the world are actually women. There's a direct yeah, connection. Yeah, okay. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Way more than, you know, they're, they're small stakeholder farmers who are mm-hmm. producing our sugar and you know, fabrics and chocolate. It's all connected. Yeah. Yeah. And their health matters. Everyone like, you know, it's just it's about it's just health and and women's rights, you know. Right. And I think everyone can relate to that. I think everyone can relate to to that that cause. Yeah. Whether you're a man or a woman, I think, you know. Yeah. I think that it's probably pretty important to mention, and because I know that somebody out there is probably thinking, we don't have the right to be telling women that they have to use birth control. And it's really important it's that listeners to. know, right, this is 100% voluntary. We're talking about yeah, the women out there. To. It's it's want to, and, uh, if they want able to. to. Yes. Yeah. 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 Everybody gets to make the it's choice. Not, um, yes, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, Neve, what else do you want listeners to know before I ask you my last two wrap-up questions? Um, I guess I just, um, I'd like people to be aware that these things, like the FB2020 initiative, they're happening. And the the good that these kind of initiatives are doing in the world, it's, I just, I suppose, um just to raise awareness for people just to know what's going on out there and that there are people trying to help and mm-hmm. every little helps. You know, I'm not directly involved, but I'm doing my little part as a statistician um, and it makes me proud to be part, a small part of something so much bigger, I right. suppose. Right. Yeah. Everybody can do their part. Everybody's got something yeah. that they can contribute to the global good. Every single yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want you to fill in the blank for me on this statement. Nobody ever told me that. Um, nobody ever told me that. Um, becoming a mother, while it's like the best thing that's ever happened to me, can be a little bit lonely. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I ever expected that, mm-hmm. you know, Yeah, I expected to be tired and I expected to be a bit stressed, but I also have felt a little bit lonely. And I think I didn't really expect that. And, I, and I'm sure I think a lot of women have probably felt like that. Yeah, as well. Boy, I sure know? did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder if I, I don't know that this is true, but. Um, so many women live their lives, their social lives out online now rather than in person. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can be extra isolating, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially if you're comparing, like comparison is the thief of joy, in right. my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, that's an Oscar Wilde quote. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you look at other people and they seem to have it all together. And you're like, well, why why haven't I done that with my life? But, right. <laughs> they their highlight reel is you know that's not their day to day they're just showing you what they want you to see you right. know I think people have to recognize that yep they have a heap of laundry on the bedroom floor too and they're, <laughs> yeah. they're behind on all their work and they haven't showered either 
<laughs> we're yeah. all so if we just showed that stuff we'd all be fine <laughs> if we nobody just, wants to see that <laughs> if we just showed that stuff i think that would cure most people's social media addictions <laughs> yeah that's very very true <laughs> yeah. go on to instagram just to see laundry everywhere <laughs> right heaps of dishes <laughs> yeah not yeah. the not the gorgeous meal that's the end result but all the dishes that are in the background <laughs> i know it Somebody should do an Instagram account of, you know, real life dinner. It's... Yeah, it's all alternative Instagram. <laughs> well, somebody will do it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Neve, my last question for you then is this one. Where are you in your life as a mom? Um, I think right now I'm just learning. I think every day I'm just learning. I'm learning, you know, um, learning about my my baby and, you know, seeing kind of the world through his eyes, how mm-hmm. everything is just so interesting to him at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm learning how to balance, you know, balance things in my life between staying fit and healthy and getting my work done and then spending time with him. And then I'm kind of learning to control my anxiety about what the future might hold because mm-hmm. I, you know, that's, I, I just have to do the day to day at the moment and yeah. things will work themselves out. So I think I'm just learning a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of the best things that babies teach us is to be here now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But it is scary because, you know, especially, you know, if you're a woman who's achieved a certain level of professional and academic success, you're, mm-hmm. you've had some control on your life. You've had a, a your yeah. hands on the steering wheel of where you go. And a big part of becoming yeah. a parent is you lose some control. Or at least... Yeah, it's not about, you know, it's yeah. not just you anymore. Yeah. But then right. I think that's motivation in itself. So like, I don't think I've ever been as motivated as I am now to succeed in my mm-hmm. career because mm-hmm. it's not just for me. It's for him as well, you know? Right, right. So, Yeah. yeah. Well, learning is a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I will continue to learn for many years to come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. My youngest is 17 and I'm still learning. It's just yeah, this yeah. Th- the learning part of parenting doesn't end, I guess. No. As far as I can tell. Yeah. Well, Neve, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And I. Yes, it's been great. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah. Well, we will talk again. Great. Okay. Bye bye. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said, Mama said, Mama said, Mama said. Our guest today was Neve Cahill. You can learn more about the work she's done with Family Planning 2020 at familyplanning2020.org. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. And I'm going to spell my name this week. That's J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. Go pick up a copy of my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, and it'll almost certainly dial down some of your fear factor. Go find Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting on Apple Media, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please, leave us a nice review, will ya? That'll help bring other parents to the conversation and grow our audience a little bit bigger. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Email me, gene at Faulkner. Tweet me at Jean Faulkner. Find us over on Instagram. 
And if you're interested in civics and advocacy, check out the Civics for Cynics tab on my website. Bye-bye, everybody. We'll talk again next week. 